We just don't talk about these things, especially in fashion, because fashion is about desire. You don't need new clothes. You really don't. It's all about, that's all, that's why Fashion Week is such a big deal. It's, it, these brands, all they have are their name yeah. and their brand. And if you tarnish the name, I mean, you tarnish the whole product. So I get it, you know what I mean? In a weird way, I had a lot of sympathy for the fact that they didn't want to talk about their their past, and it's it's difficult. This is season one of Memberful Design, a show about Firestarters sparking initiatives that have a lasting impact. It was formerly known as Verwondering, an award-winning Dutch design podcast. Now we're bringing it to the international stage in English. Discover what it takes to let your plan succeed and create meaningful connections. The power of the collective requires the commitment of the individual. In every episode, Harold Dunning, founder of Design Studio Momkai and co-founder of journalism platform The Correspondent, talks to other designers, creative directors, artists and entrepreneurs about the impact of their work. We want to hear from you too. You can visit memberful.design to share your thoughts and check out the show's gallery. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Memberful Design on your favorite podcast platform. And sign up for our newsletter at memberful.design. I've just experienced the most special event that's at the same time the most ordinary, the birth of our first child. Perhaps the one life-changing experience that truly can live up to that label. At the same time, it's the most normal thing out there. All of us landed on earth this way. There's no other route, not yet anyway. With the birth of a family come many challenges and tasks. A quirky, creative one stands out for me, the birth card. For all its original purposes, this is by no means necessary anymore. Announcing to the folks around you that there's an adorable new potato sack in town. With messaging apps, you can share this the same day, so why bother? And yet, everyone embraces the craft. It's the one moment where any person either becomes a designer or a client, both trying to come up with a creative concept and a clever way to communicate clearly. For years, I loved seeing friends and family members give it their own spin. I saved many cards, out of love and because I'm a bit of a nerd. But to be a true nerd of design, there's one podcast to rule them all. 99% Invisible, a wildly popular show on design that's been around forever, well, at least in internet terms. Since 2010, its creator, Roman Mars, has been telling stories about all the thought that goes into everyday objects that most people don't think about. Before it won awards and Ira Glass of This American Life raved about it, the show had to fight for its life. Podcasts were still quite underground back in 2012. And then 99PI ran their first very successful crowdfunding campaign to keep them on the air. Afterwards, Mr. Mars shared he was looking for an intern to join him in his garage. This caught the eye of a student and fan of the show who also happens to be our special guest of today, Avery Truffleman. Avery's parents used to be radio producers. They quit when they had her, but always talked lovingly about it. With the birth of podcasts, that dream became a reality for their daughter. In 2013, Avery joined Roman in California. 
and soon they moved to an architecture firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, which granted them a tiny space in the back to do what they do best, talk about how the world gets built. And each time the architects had their design meetings, Roman and Avery had to stop recording. But she kept going and eventually created a series herself that blew everyone away. Articles of Interest, a podcast about fashion. It's not about the latest trends, but rather the history of what we wear and what we say with the clothes that cover our bodies. Her third season takes on a new direction and completely focuses on one team, preppy clothes. Think Ivy League schools, Ralph Lauren Polos, and Tommy Basics. So cool, they're not even trying. In the meantime, Avery did a reincarnation of The Cut, a weekly audio magazine that touched on anything from style to sex, and she created two seasons of Nice Try, a wonderful show about big dreams that didn't go as planned, designs that went nowhere, and products that made, kept, and broke promises of self-improvement. Now let's embrace the things that are invisible because of their everydayness and celebrate new beginnings, a new season of Articles of Interest, the birth of a baby girl, and the launch of this show, Memberful Design. As I'm just a designer with a mic, I'm looking forward to what we can learn from someone who has radio in her blood and design on her mind. Avery, welcome to the studio of Momkai. Thank you so That was such a gorgeous introduction. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of new beginnings. Um, what's so special to you about the mundane? That's a really good question. Well, I mean, you just said it in, in, in that introduction right there. You know, that... that you were saying with with the with the birth of your daughter yeah, yeah. that it's like so special and it's so normal it's the way we all come yeah. into the world i mean when you th- think about I, I guess you know you have to start to define those things like what is mundane and is it mundane that we are on this giant spinning rock around a <laughs> ball of fire like the like you know in the most optimistic way, you could wake up and be like, every day's a miracle, everything's incredible. So I don't know, what would you qualify as the mundane? Well, it was the one word that uh, stuck with me yeah. throughout everything that you make. What's so special about the, the shows that you create and then the, the lens that you put on something is that you see the beauty in something very normal from a doorbell to the pockets of your <laughs> jacket or anything and to, to, to marvel at that. So the Dutch uh, um, a name of the show used to be uh, Verwondering or Wonderment. Uh, and I think that's... I think almost feels like the the key to a happy life. Like if you if you never take something for granted and and you see that something normal can be special, I think you yeah you you will be happy forever. Like at least <laughs> not happy forever, but at least you 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 trickle yourself to to uh, see the world anew. I mean, I think that's beautiful. And I want to be like, yeah, that's the key. <laughs> but, you know, and then there's the flip side of that, right? Which is that uh, once you start looking where everything comes from, also there are a lot of the stories of a lot of products and objects yeah. under capitalism also are have that's really ignoble beginnings, you know? You could also, I mean, I guess it's a funny, it's a funny thing. Because you could look around at the world and you could yeah. look around at all these objects and say, 
it's so beautiful. All these people put all this thought into it. And that is true. And the other side of it is, you know, I mean, you mentioned the doorbell, for yeah. example, the history of the doorbell. You know, so much of that has to do with ideas of personal space yeah. and tensions with neighbors and wanting to keep out, you know, th the other yeah. and wanting to not interact with people the way we've seen the doorbell turn into the security camera, yeah. basically. And then with pockets, you know, at the end of that story, it, it begins with talking about gendered pockets and why if you go to the women's clothing section and the men's clothing section, women's pockets are so much smaller than men's. And it's always been framed as like, well, why don't women have bigger pockets? And the real question is, why do any of us have any pockets at all? And in an ideal utopian society, we wouldn't have any pockets because we wouldn't need keys to protect our stuff. We wouldn't need like money. You know what I mean? That The other side is you could look at all these objects and see the 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 shortcomings in them and the way they could be better, the ways they were made in exploitative ways or emerged out of our fears. So I don't know if it's a better way to see the world. It's just a way to see the world. You know what I mean? No, very much so. It's almost <laughs> like you know too much, like you know all the layers, like ignorance is bliss. So, so, um, and of course, you really dive into yeah the, the history of things and then I, I don't know like you always get somewhere that it's like a bit like sad or yeah. <laughs> like an Hawaiian shirt and to be all about colonialism and you're not really um yeah I didn't know uh, that it would end up there but um me neither honestly yeah, yeah exactly yeah so the, the episodes that we described are a few episodes of articles of interest about the Hawaiian shirt and the pocket or um, nice try which yeah went amongst other things about the doorbell but let I wanted to go back to one episode of 99PI, or 99% Invisible, but then people that listen to the show often call it 99PI, which to me always sounds like Magnum PI. But <laughs> <laughs> there's one episode, like you did many episodes there. Uh, I really loved it uh, from like Miss Manhattan or um, oh, you. your, your first one about covers, the cover story. But there's one, and I think that's also one that's close to your heart, uh, The Pool and the Stream, which to me really sums up what I find really intriguing in your work. But maybe you can describe to us a little bit for you what what that episode of, of the podcast was about. Thank you. So, by the way, I just have to say thank you so much for all the listening you've done. Like, it's so... Um, it's all my pleasure. <laughs> really? Like, like a, a, the research is just the greatest gift that, you know, I try to give... <laughs> I do my best to give people in interviews, and so I recognize when someone has done a lot of research and put work into these questions, especially, you know, when they have a newborn kid, it <laughs> means a lot. So thank you. And no worries. Um, so the pool and the stream is really dear to me because to me that is the epitome of diving really deep into something. I mean, with all these objects, I want to say, it's not like I go around the world being like, what's that? What's that? I mean, yeah. I'm often quite surprised by the things that have interesting stories behind them. And this is basically a story about why swimming pools are shaped like kidney beans. Basically, so it starts as a California thing. If, if you look in Southern California, all the swimming pools in every backyard, they sort of have this mid-century modern, they look like little little kidney beans. And... Uh, once upon a time, an architect at the architecture firm was like, why are the pools shaped like kidney beans? And I, I never really thought of it. But it turns out it's actually from Finland. It's like yeah. a very Finnish shape. And the story 
uh, goes all over the place. I mean, it really starts with um, Oliver Alto, who created the first kidney-shaped swimming pool. And that's a story that has everything to do with Finnish independence and how they forged a path for themselves uh, you know, made their way into sort of the Scandinavia clique by focusing on design. And the way they did that was by using their natural resource, wood, in this new way and forged a new aesthetic that we see everywhere. And then this American designer, it became this huge, uh, the, the house where the kidney-shaped pool was in the middle of Finland became this huge pilgrimage spot. And this one American architect went there and saw the kidney-shaped swimming pool and then at the same time after World War II, in the West Coast, there were all these soldiers who had been deployed to Japan uh, through the Pacific Theater, and they passed through California, and they were like, this is really great. I would like to live in California. And a lot of these were kids who had never lived, you know, they, they came from New York or Philadelphia. They'd never had a backyard. They lived in apartment buildings, and suddenly they were living in California, and they had these houses with yards. And they were like, we don't really know what to do with our yards and then they looked to the cover of Sunset Magazine at the time, and there was a picture of this swimming pool, a version of the swimming pool that Thomas Church, the architect who went to visit the pool in Finland, went and designed in Northern California. And it was on the cover of Sunset Magazine, and basically it was a whole new design for a backyard where you could just pave it and put a swimming pool in the back, and everyone copied it. They were like, great, I don't need to – it's very American. Yeah, yeah. They are like, I don't want to take, take care of plants. I'll just pave it. And so all over Southern California, there were all these kidney-shaped swimming pools. They were all copying the architect who copied Alvar Aalto, and then – in the 70s, there was a drought and all the swimming pools were drained and all these kids who used to be surfers took their skateboards and skateboarding used to be almost like hula hooping. It was mm -hmm. something that was just a little trick that you could do. You didn't really mm -hmm. use it to uh, do stunts or get very far. But during this era, kids who used to be surfers would imitate surfing on their skateboards mm -hmm. and it basically created modern skateboarding as we know it now. And it's like an incredible story of design and inspiration and this very unlikely chain of events. And then, you know, what skateboarding has meant in culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we barely even touch on it, but I mean, that's, that's created so much of design culture, shoe culture, mm -hmm. cinema culture, you know, tracking shots were created by kids following each other. It wasn't created, but really revolutionized by kids following each other on their skateboards with the with the fisheye lenses. Yes, I, I exactly. Loved, uh, I loved exactly. those videos when I was a was a kid. Exactly, and it, it inspired yeah. so many people. And then you know, you go back to Finland today, and you see yeah. that there's so many skate parks inspired by Americans who were inspired by Finland. It's this really international exchange, and so I'm so inspired by that story. And it really feels like a story that happened, sort of. To, to me. I had yeah. no idea where it would go when I started. Yeah, I think that's a lovely summary of that podcast in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it, it starts first with, uh, yeah, with, with the skaters that really don't like it when you compare it to a kidney. They, they have different comparisons. And um, indeed, from the sidewalk surfing all the way to the, the garden that you described is the Donal Garden. I think it's one of the most photographed uh, gardens uh, um, in the world, or at least they claim it like that. But um, I, I think, yeah, also how you describe it now, I think it, the, that show to me has the, the, the three elements that I think really 
define your work and 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 really make it so pleasurable is um, first up, it's an adventure. So I'm, you're really driven by curiosity. Like you, you, it's like you you go into your backpack and you just follow you. <laughs> but I really like that because very often uh, in design, I think everything was so serious and so I don't know, always important and um, always the same uh, names, always men. Sadly enough, and I think the second element is really indeed that proper research. So I think what's so intriguing about that story is also that it becomes uh, less U- U.S. centric and it really looks to like. Okay, the, this professor comes. There's a professor that goes to uh, this uh, university in in, in uh, Finland. Says like this pool. This is the first of its kind. Donald Garden. It just happened here. And then someone in the audience is like, No, no, I don't think so. I think Alfa yeah, <laughs> Alto yeah. Alfa did that. Um, Alfa Alto did that. But um, so I really like that that you also take it out of that that frame. Um, and the, and the last one is that it's really sort of lightheartedly meaningful. So you actually go really deep, but it's never never so boring. It's always honest with humor. And I think that's a really beautiful way of telling stories. I think anyone can learn from that. Not You don't have to make podcasts listening to this podcast, but you just uh, it's a beautiful way to, to, to either talk about your designs or about what something means to you, I think. Thank you. So you, you, you worked at uh, 99PI for seven years. How, how did your methods, working methods, evolve over that period? Well, the amazing thing about 99% Invisible and about working for Roman, who I still consider my mentor and my absolute, like, I mean, he taught me everything. And at the same time, I mean, it was scrappy and it was hands off, really. Like Roman was very trusting and we didn't have a lot of resources, but he was always very generous with the little resources he had. You know, I've worked since for bigger companies where I have asked to buy a book and they've said no. Oh, really? And Roman was always like, buy the book, you know, like take, so the, take the trip, you know. Uh, there was always a lot of trust and he always said yes within reason, you know. So there was a lot of, we all, and that was the other thing, we all started as fans of Roman And so it never felt like, you know, working for the boss. I think it felt very much like we have to help, you know, make this show that we love. And we're so, you know, it it felt like a real scrappy, um, I don't know, like an old timey, like, hey, we got to put on a show. And so that was really how I started. I mean, I remember my one of my earliest episodes I recorded it in a parking lot with like the sounds of cars coming in and out. Um, but luckily the the topic of that episode happened to be about a location that was next to the ocean. So the cars in the parking lot, like just sound like we're by the ocean. Like you can't tell that the traffic sounds. Yeah. So that it was just really um, no, I mean the, no sense of, um, I mean, I think we really tried to do everything the best we could. Roman reached out to artists to be like, can we use your music? Mm-hmm. You know, we we were really scrapping things together. And I think that was really how I learned. It wasn't a professional environment. I know a lot of people who get started in, in bigger places. You know, I interned at NPR before mm-hmm. I started at 99% Invisible and at NPR – 
you know, you 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 can't go on the air. You, you you know, you have to be in the union to be on the air, which is which is great, but it also just means it's going to be a long time before you ever practice and there are all these methods and there are all these tools and I don't want to sound anti-establishment. I think there's a there's there's a lot of um NPR is like the national radio yes, national in the public US, radio. Right? Yes, yeah, yes. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, although technically it like doesn't stand for NPR anymore. They're like okay. a brand that's like oh, a way. Okay. It's so sure. it just means NPR now. But yes, one time it was national public radio. But and so I don't want I know it's it's also very American to sound anti-establishment being mm -hmm. like you don't need a degree, just go do it. So I don't want to sound like that either. Yeah. But in a weird way, I had the best of both worlds because it was sort of an apprentice model. I was learning from Roman. I was learning mm -hmm. from the master. But also, I had to just go make stuff and make a lot of mistakes and find stories wherever I could. And so I just got my feet wet immediately. And that's, oh, ever since, it's just been the advice that I give to people. I think a lot of people are looking for, oh, how do I start? Should I take a class? Should I learn? You know? Just make. Just make. And I think... The fault is, I think, where, where it gets tricky is you don't want to just put out your first draft yeah, right yeah, away and be yeah. like, I did it. I think it yeah. also, it's a balance, you know, of, yeah. of, of just doing it and learning and trying and editing and, and amending yourself. So both elements have to, have to be there. Yeah, I think that's that's often also, I really love talking with students and, and very often they think it's like a sort of a direct line, diagonal line to, towards uh, becoming better, where you're like, no, 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 you have to put in the flying hours. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, we, we all make mistakes, but from that you can really learn. But you have to really make. It's like, I think first up, it's just work. It's not like, it's not a sort of divine thing that comes to you, right? It's. Uh, I also uh, loved how you always... Um, Referred to a Roman when you did uh, articles of interest. I think the first one, Kids Clothes, you referred to him as uh, he's the caretaker of the show. And, yeah, like, yeah. You did always did these quirky things. So in the case of 99PI, I think people often think it's just about design or architecture. But it's, it's much more about the, the, where ideas come from and how creativity starts. And I think it's very often in your work that, um, that you see it, it starts with something small or trivial or what you call mundane, and then it turns out to to there's a much bigger narrative behind it, which is uh, yeah, which which to me always is really in in intriguing, and I think that's also part of it's in essence also the creativity itself that you kind of connecting dots, right? Like you you see that everything interconnects, and then you in your stories you you zoom out and you tell us a little bit the bigger narrative that you see in that. Well, I mean, you're a designer. I feel like that's the other thing is there's so the process of making stuff is is already that. You know, I'm yeah. sure when you're when you work on projects, yeah. you're pulling from history, you're pulling from, you know, your own life and your own resources. I mean, the 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 thousands of pieces of inspiration and and ideas that get condensed into any yeah. poster website, piece of furniture, design, object, product, I feel like all that I do is say, what's that? And then it just, it just comes out, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully understand. And indeed, you always, you always really focus on the things, and people are quite complicated. It almost seems like you sometimes avoid the people themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like... Um, 
I get very nervous asking because um, I don't know when you ask someone directly about themselves, it just makes me uncomfortable. Because sometimes I, I mean, I love making audio. That's my favorite thing to do. And I, at my darkest moments, I worry that I'm using other people's voices and expertise. And the nice thing about audio is, you know, you hear it in their own words. You, you know, they're, they're credited. And I like to think that they feel a part of the story and a part of the piece. But, you know, on my darkest days, I'm like, I don't really make anything. You know, I'm just gathering. I'm like, a, I'm making a collage. I'm not painting a painting. You know what no, I mean? I yeah. And so I feel like the when you're, especially when you're asking someone about their lives and for their insight, I mean, clearly you're not doing, I feel like together we're, we're co-creating this interview because yeah. you've done all this research and we're and we're sort of making something together but um I don't know I feel like especially if there's a story with a lot of trauma or mm -hmm. sadness which is you know that's the human condition there are a lot of stories like that I I I worry about asking asking after that and exploiting it and I feel as though when you talk about objects mm -hmm. or you talk about inspiration the human story can't help but come through. It yeah. does come through because objects are made by people course, yeah, and, they, yeah. and people come from somewhere. Um, so I find it easier for me sort of ethically to ask about objects and then people can offer up what they want to offer up rather than, you know. I think in, 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 in all your um, work, I think you're, you're really respectful to the, to the people that you, you put in the spotlights. And how important is, is then being nice? Being nice. Oh, man. I mean, it's funny. I was I uh, did a story for The Cut about the difference between um, being nice and being kind. Mm. And that those are different oh, things. That you can be kind but not nice. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, there was this joke that someone made that you can... In the West Coast, people are nice but not kind. Oh. And in New York, people are kind but not nice. And I've been thinking about that with... with Dutch people because they're very direct. They're not nice, but they're very kind. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. You know, someone fell on their bike the other day and everyone rushed to, to help them. Like yeah. that to me is kindness. And I don't know. I don't know about the importance of niceness. If niceness, well, I'm curious what you think about this. I feel like nice, if nice helps people feel at ease, then that's important. What do you think the, what do you think the role of niceness is? I think in the end, it's what we really drives us together is that we that we're in this together and we're we're helping each other. And I think very often, uh, you, you come from New York, which of course has has uh, Dutch roots, uh, and um, later um, somehow had ended in British hands. But um, <laughs> it's um, uh, and very often th certain Dutch things were phrased as uh, going Dutch is going being cheap at a, at a dinner or something right. like that. Oh. Yeah. So it's, oh, does it's that all, offend you when people say that? Yeah, so it's all, oh, it's, it's all British framed. <laughs> um, and, and very often by being direct uh, in, 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 in our culture, it's often perceived as uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind to you because 
Uh, if if uh, I don't know, uh, you, you drink coffee and there's still uh, I don't know some foam around your mouth, we would say it, and other people are like, no, you can't do that. Like, it's too, <laughs> yeah, too direct. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, but otherwise this person would be walking around half the day with that on the face. So the 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 kind the directness is is. Uh, I think also a way of kindness, but it's often not perceived like that. And it's, and it's, and indeed, then you get this kind of comparison between nice and kind, where I think you can be kind and nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really is. The directness is really a gift. Um, also, uh, also a time-saving gift. Because that's sometimes I also had. I worked for many years also in in the states, and then in meetings I thought like, why? What is this? Why is everyone take so long? And yeah, outside what are we getting the, at? Outside the meeting, people would have like conversation, and in the meeting you wouldn't. People would not always go, um, yeah, to to just call out what's going on. I think partly what you do in your show is use kindness to call out things that are wrong. I'm glad you see it that way. I worry about that. I really, I really do. Because I think there is so much injustice, and as I said, a lot of histories are 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 bad. You know, a lot of histories well, are it's, it's horrible. It's gray. It's never black and white, right? Like, yes. it's, uh, there's just so many layers, or fifty shades. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> there, at least it's not like it's not. Yeah, I th- and that's I think also what you meant earlier in the conversation is that um, uh, when you know more, you you kind of know that there's like. I, I don't know who said it, but behind every big wealth, there's also a big dark secret. Because otherwise, you couldn't get into becoming a billionaire. You have to yeah. have somewhere you thought like uh, everything for me or something like that. So, um, I think when you see start to see those layers, I think it's yeah. Then everything becomes kind of gray. But still, you can still see the sparks of beauty. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, I often worry that I'm not. Um, I don't know. But I mean, the tricky thing is. I'm sure you know the feeling when you interview people, you just learn so much about them mm-hmm. and you sort of like get so excited about them, like you love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the thing, even when I am when I have the opportunity to interview people who I want to call out a little bit, I'm like, oh, but there's, I like them so much. Oh, you know, yeah. they're so great and they gave me their time and I don't know. I have a, I have a hard time. It's something I really struggle with because I want... You know, I want everyone to like the piece and I want everyone to be happy and I want to tell the truth and I don't want to seem, you know, like a, have you, have you read The Journalist and the Murderer by Janet Malcolm? No. It's an amazing book. Very slender volume. Yeah. Love a, love a slender little book, but it's about a, it's about a, it's a classic. It's about a a man who, a, a journalist who followed around this man who was accused of killing his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And he gets very close to this man, and this man's very wealthy, and they go on vacation together, and they get very close. And over the course of years, they develop a really intimate friendship. Mm-hmm. And then the journalist turns around and publishes a book, and he's like, yeah, this guy totally killed his wife and kids. And the the accused murderer was like, what? Wait, 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 wait. I thought we had, like, stopped yeah. that. It's been years. And then there was this trial about... Um, should there be some line in the sand? I mean, should there be some some regulation about how close you can get as a journalist? And it was this huge ethical conundrum. And Janet Malcolm wrote this book. And then at some point she's like, what am I doing in this story? Like, yeah. am I getting too close? And then Errol Morris wrote a book about <laughs> Janet Malcolm, so writing meta. the book about the journalist, writing the book about the murderer. And I always wanted to do a podcast about Errol Morris writing the movie about, like, Janet Malcolm writing this story about the journalist about the murderer. But... Um, she has this opening that just ugh, kills me. It's just like, why would anyone 
trust a journalist. It's something, it's something I, I worry about because I don't want to be a bloodsucker. Not like I'm doing hard-hitting, you know, news stories mm-hmm. or anything. But I do, I do worry about niceness and the way that niceness can be a mask. Oh. And the ways in which, you know, sometimes you maybe don't want to make people feel too comfortable. I don't know. It's something I, I, I think about a lot. Uh, yeah, so besides the design agency, uh, um, uh, we run a uh, journalism platform, uh, what we called, uh, we talked about before. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and the one thing I always struggle with the journalists is that, uh, I don't know, everyone's super skeptical about everything. And especially, uh, I'm, I'm a creative director, and then so everyone's skeptical because you're in a sort of power dynamics. And I, I always thought like, ah, but we're going to do this great thing. And then everyone's like just firing endless questions. So I always jokingly said to to, to my other co-founders, like, this is that the toughest crowd I would ever, <laughs> I ever presented to. Um, um, but yeah, so that's kind of like a blessing and, 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 and hard. At the same time, it really pushes you to, explain better why you do certain things. Uh, I, I totally recognize what you say. I always view myself as a designer. I'm not a journalist in a conversation. I don't have to tell, I don't have to ask anyone permission to, or I have to pitch anyone who I'm interviewing. I'm interviewing you because I think you're very interesting. And then th- that kind of gives me a sort of cloak, like I don't have to grill anyone. Right, 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 um, right. But you could also say, like, yeah, you let them off easy, right? But I don't know. Like, it's. Um, I think that those those are two schools of thought, right? One is y- you create this spotlight, and what is so inspiring, more people should hear that. And the other schools thought, like, no, no, I'm gonna rip off the mask so, and show who's there. Yes, exactly. Do you know there's this show called Unreal? Mm-hmm. And it is a fictional show made by a producer from The Bachelor. And it's mm-hmm. all about how they produce reality TV. Season one is great. I do not like season two as much, but there's this episode in season two. I can find you the YouTube video, but mm-hmm. there's this one scene where this um, sweet young producer who's like really nice and wants to see the best in people is learning how to do an interview. And so this experienced producer is whispering in her ear. And when I saw this scene, I was like, this is exactly how I feel whenever mm-hmm. I do interviews that are supposed to be harder. And she's interviewing this you know, contestant on this reality show. Mm-hmm. And she's asking, um, you know, oh, were you, were you married once before? And she was like, yes, but he died. And the, and the, and the producer in this, the senior producer in, in this young producer's ears feeding her questions. She's like, okay, ask how he died. He's like, how did he oh. die? He's like, a car crash. And then the 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 older producer is like, ask, did you were you driving the car? Did you kill him? Oh. And the 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 young producer is like, I don't want to do it. I don't, you know, and she's like, Madison, ask the question. And she's like, no, 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 I don't want to ask the question. And that's I mean, I'm not asking those kinds of questions, yeah. but I really sometimes can hear the producer, like my producer self yeah. in my ear being like, just ask the hard question and yeah. like sweet little interpersonal me who's getting along and having this nice conversation. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. So it's a very split reality because you have to keep the you have to keep the audience and not just for entertainment factor, but also, you know, your 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 duty you know, to whatever, tell the truth and, and use this access. So yes, both sides are always really present. But to do understand the, the, the your limit there, or what is your, the edge, your boundary, you, you must have 
past it once where you thought like I went too far. I don't know if I should talk about it. <laughs> I've definitely been, I've been like kicked out of rooms. Yeah, I've been like interview over. Um, but yeah, I also understand, I don't know. And I have total empathy, you know, I understand why people, I understand why, why people wouldn't trust journalists. And honestly, I think it's kind of savvy when they know their limits and they're like, okay, interview over. Um, yeah. so what, what happened then? Why was it over then? I mean, ugh. I don't know if I should talk about it because I feel like if I talk about it out out of context, it's going to make them look bad. So I was, I was interviewing a big company mm -hmm. and I asked them about their history mm -hmm. in the 1800s mm -hmm. uh, with with slavery, mm -hmm. and they didn't want to talk about it. Oh, and and but but I also get it. Like that's a really hard thing. Yeah, but you, it's 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 2022. I know exactly. I, of, like I thought I was teeing it up. I thought they were going to be like, oh, you know, it's our is, collective this past. This is your, your moment yeah, to I was like, say, you yeah, know, say it. Say it. Yeah. Knock it out of the park. Yeah. And they just didn't want to talk about it. But, you know, this was a fashion company. And it's really hard. Fashion, particularly, has a really hard time reckoning with the past. Oh, man. Because and, yeah. fashion is supposed to make us feel good. Yeah. We want... And fashion is built on nostalgia, you know? Yeah. It's 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 about selling old versions of the past. A lot of the clothes are, a lot of new trends are recycled old trends. And all of that is predicated on this idea that like the past was a better place, that people dressed yeah. better in the past. They, 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 everyone knew how to dress way back then. And so no one wants to sell a version of the past that was bad. No mm -hmm. one wants to sell rags or images of people in in poverty and or talk about bad work practices mm -hmm. you just don't, like hugo boss doesn't talk about the past and everyone's like conveniently forgotten about it the whole uh, war and uh, dressing all the nazis dressing all the nazis making labor in concent like making clothes in concentration camps yeah. i mean we just don't talk about these things especially no. especially especially in fashion because it's fashion is about desire you don't need new clothes you mm -hmm. really don't It's all about, that's all, that's why Fashion Week is such a big deal. It's, it, these brands, all they have are their name yeah. and their brand. And if you tarnish the name, I mean, you tarnish the whole product. So I get it. You know what I mean? In a weird way, I had a lot of sympathy for the fact that they didn't want to talk about their, their past. And it's, it's difficult. And so that's the other thing. I'm like, it doesn't make it right. And... I get it because also the public has a very unnuanced opinion. As soon as you're like, oh, well, they, if they admit they used slave labor yeah. in the past, it's like, oh, that's problematic. It's, 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 it's interesting. But, but still, like, I have a dear friend who, who, who designs for Fendi and they still use fur. And I'm, yes. I, I, and, and it's a hard conversation to have, even with her. Like, what, what, you, you're still fur? And he's like, no, it's beginning in China and we have to do that. And you're like, no, no, I don't think you ever have to do that. But, <laughs> um, um, and I think partly what, what happened there, and I think that's also why I liked your, your articles of interest here so much um, and, and, and uh, happy that there's a new season, is um, partly it's super serious. Like you can't really uh, uncover anything with fashion. Uh, everyone is, uh, I always think that I had the designers with the, the big black glasses and all that <laughs> yeah. that kind of feel like it's uh, and I, I worked a lot in fashion I had, I had many fashion clients um, but it's it's um, 
uh, I think s- sort of some of the ways that you try to make things in design uh, be uh, recognizable or be, be, be talked about is through humor or sort of lightheartedness, but you do call, call it out. Thank you. I, I think that's, uh, and I think that's very often a, a good way. Um, for, so in journalism, I, my, my, I was uh, the show that I liked the most was the Daily Show. Yeah. For literally doing that, using humor to show you the the systems, uh, because a lot of news is about the incidents and not so much about the structures that define our world. And I, um, with John Stewart and later also with Trevor Noah, like they they to pull down the curtain and show you like this is continuously happening and uh, I think that's beautiful but I often really miss that in design. one of the reasons I started this podcast and, and talking to people is that I thought like oh, everything's so fucking serious and and um, you mentioned Alva Alto there's a new documentary about him I think made by a Finnish documentary maker who, who says like uh, what he what he was really good at maybe he was very good at marketing marketing himself yes yes definitely <laughs> which is also a bit tricky because you 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 unravel these stories you you come up with these names and i always i always have the feeling that like we do uh repeat the names that have already been repeated you know like so i just had a baby girl and there's this wonderful book uh, designing motherhood and i discovered like I always thought like uh, diapers come from pampers, right? Like everyone uses pampers, and that was always the normal origin stories. Oh, it comes all comes from pampers. This uh, this uh, uh, engineer, he uh, he uh, invented it. But it was actually uh, a, a lady uh, already in 1949 that came up with the whole concept, called them I think uh, boaters. And, oh, really, uh, that's yeah, so interesting. Marion Donovan and. Um, and she had like sort of nylon diapers already in 1949, went through all companies, tried to sell it. And that's way before Pampers. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, I, I think very often it's, it's um, and I notice myself, like I, I of course, I'm, I'm a, a practicing creative director designer. So, and I like to do this show to get the spotlight on different stories, but I keep on noticing like, oh, we, we repeat our, our, our names. That's why I think maybe also the, the, the pool and the stream, the episode about the California swimming pools was so nice because it's kind of, you you do the whole route, like, hey, maybe there's something behind here. And you I think you even mentioned, like, Alfa Alto had this idea for pool, but we don't know where he gets his inspiration from because he only talks very vaguely yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in very vague terms. And maybe there was someone in India that made uh, baths or pools like right, that, right? right but right. we just don't know, and it wasn't written down somewhere. So... Um, I think that's the nice thing also about podcasts, the same with writing and all, like you, at least you, you put something in time in an archive that over time, maybe someone else discovers and knows like there's more layers to this, to this story. I think. I hope so. I think you will love this book. It's, uh, uh, Designing Motherhood from uh, Michelle Miller-Fisher and Amber Winnick, a dear friend, uh, she she recommended it to me. Oh, wow. And uh, to me, I'm, of course, all of shuddered at all these yeah, kind exactly. of baby items because no one told me, and which part of the fun of, of becoming a, a young parent is that uh, you can... Uh, acquire all these new things. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, oh, it's so funny. That's the thing that terrifies me about the prospect of becoming a parent. It's like you got to buy so much stuff. Yeah, but it's also really fun. And I noticed that there's a lot of... So we didn't buy any children's clothes. Everything was given. 
everything was either borrowed or given. Wow. And I noticed that all the other young parents were doing it like that. No one was hardly buying a lot of clothes because they go, they grow really fast. Um, they right. What they always say, but it's apparently true. And um, and uh, that way, you maybe have a shirt that only lasts for a few weeks. So why why would right, you buy right, right. something new, right? And we really loved it. Like we had this really nice, uh, lovely collection, and uh, we even had too much. And then I had some team members that that were becoming father, and then give them something. So I think that's really, really lovely that it's that 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 is like that. But other things you kind of want to buy new, like a car seat. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But you're enjoying looking at all the design. For all, yeah, yeah, for all yeah. the baby stuff. Yeah, I used to work for a long time. Um, the Bugaboo is a is a, a Dutch uh, brand. Um, oh. it, it had a 15 seconds, I think literally 15 seconds of fame yes. on uh, the Sex in the City. Yes. And that just blew up. It became <laughs> like one of the biggest stroller companies. So I used to design a lot for kids without ever having a child of my own. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, yeah, it was really funny. Like, Looking at it now, are you like, I knew nothing? Or are you like, I did a pretty good job? No, I think part part of part of design. I think in essence is that hardly ever you're hardly ever you're designing something for yourself. So you have to dive into all these different communities to understand what drives them, what is their lingo, what is their uh, interaction, what is their yeah, what do they value, what is what is important to them. So. I think one of the things that is almost hard to describe to people that are not in this kind of creative field, because it's a service, right? You're helping other people, is that you have a sort of license to just dive into worlds. And I think what you do in the sort of radio making or podcast making is is a similar way because I recognize that at journalism, you have a license to just ask. You just go in and you talk to people and... um, and you have uh, in, in journalism, you have the freedom, uh, and then I go away and indeed make your own story of it right, and right. Then be nice or not. Um, and in design, I kind of like I have to m- make something that people can use and it can last, and I'm mindful of the resources that have been used. But it's it's yeah it's um yeah it's the one thing that you can really yeah, discover new worlds. Because it's always a, a, a big world and a small world. I think the, the the bigger world is like where the product is being made for, or the platform who comes there, and the smaller world is then all the people that drive that. That's like a little community in itself mm-hmm. that has its own lingo. I think you you, you mentioned it before about ninety nine percent invisible that you were like at some point so deep into it, you knew all the jargon, and that's kind of when you know like mm, maybe I should get out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I wasn't representing the listener anymore. People, you know, all these names, you you know, that you said that we mention over and over again. It got to the point when people would, would like be naming architects and be like, mm-hmm, yep, uh-huh. Like I, <laughs> I, I stopped asking questions, you know, oh. I stopped being like, who's that? Why are they different? And it's like. That, and then I, then I, then then it's then it's just mutually commiserating, you know. Then it's then it's not interrogating, and I luckily have so much to learn about fashion, and I don't know, like, you do you ever look at tarot cards? Tarot? Oh, the yeah, No. Um, well, the first card is called the Fool. And that's what's supposed to set you out on the journey. And it's this picture of this, like, beautiful young man setting off on a path and the sun is shining. And I feel like you have to have a little bit of the fool Mm -hmm. to begin 
the journey. That's how how the the tarot cards tell a story in mm-hmm. order, and it starts with the fool and it ends with the the world. With, oh, like wow. you get you get to everything. So it starts with ignorance then to to get anywhere. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need you need a little bit. I feel like that you know I'm a professional dilettante. <laughs> nice. Um, something that I ask all my guests, and I'm very curious for you um, for about is um, for which design are you most grateful? That's a great. Yeah, hmm. I should have thought about this. Um, my, I mean, I don't. I'm being such a prude American. I'm like, I don't think this will scandalize you. But um, my menstrual cup. I think menstrual oh, wow. cups yeah. are amazing. Menstrual cups are incredible. They're the they're the best. I mean, menstruating makes so much waste. And I love my menstrual cup. It carries so much. And I mean, and there you can... Yeah, they should be so accessible, and there's so much stigma about them, and they really are an incredible, like, problem-solving device, and um, everyone, everyone should, everyone who, everyone who bleeds should use one. I'm really, I'm a really big menstrual cup evangelist. <laughs> I think about this all the time. I was always I was always like I wish I could start a nonprofit that gave away menstrual cups. Sorry to rope you into this, but like are, are menstrual cups very commonly no, used no, no, here? No, no. Really? No, no, it's also it's no. Have you ever used one? I've I've never used one. They're amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, now you've mentioned it. I've talked about it with my with my friends. They're uh, just yeah. yeah. No, it's not normal at all. Also, tampons is a big stigma. Like, it's really weird if you walk around with a tampon or everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I just feel like I mean. Can you it, can you can you describe yeah, a yeah, menstrual yeah. Okay. cup to us? Okay, okay, okay. Let me let me evangelize about menstrual cups. Okay, okay. so, like, periods are gross. Like, I not the fact that bleeding is not gross. It's mm-hmm. like bleeding is great, but just objectively, it's such a such a pain Mm -hmm. either you have to track your period or like me i call it the spanish inquisition every time i'm like oh my god (laughs) i wasn't expecting this because like i don't know i don't want to download the app i don't want to track my period i've got other other shit to do and so every time it comes i'm like oh no now i can't wear white it's so embarrassing and you're supposed to like really keep it under control and not tell anyone that you're bleeding like huge amounts and you're in pain i mean luckily i think we've gotten to the point in society where you can say like i have cramps yeah because they sometimes they really hurt and you're supposed to like so yeah thankfully we've gotten to the point where you don't have to like pretend that it's not happening yeah but the thing about about actually bleeding i mean it's so impractical and then if it surprises you you're like oh my god i have to ask around or mm-hmm. i have to go out and buy some disposable products and you you buy this box of stuff this like cotton mm-hmm. uh you know and i think about this in the context of clothing we mm-hmm. talk so much about cotton mm-hmm. waste and the resources used to make cotton so i just like bleed on this cotton and then i throw it out yeah. and you, you know, and it's like disgusting trash that you don't want anyone to handle. So you have to be really mm-hmm. polite and like wrap it up in toilet paper, you know, there's, and it's, it's like 
really uh, bad waste. Mm-hmm. And so with a menstrual cup, it's just rubber. Mm-hmm. It comes in a little pouch and I just keep it in my bag all the time. Mm-hmm. You disinfect it in like boiling water mm. and it's reusable. And so you just like put it in. And I know there's a stigma because you have to like interact with your own body, which I know not everyone is comfortable with. And you have to like learn how to put it in. But once you figure it out, you like put it in, it holds a lot. You keep it in like all, like most of the day. Mm-hmm. And then you just empty the blood out directly into the toilet and like clean it. It's so much more. Sounds so logical. It's so, it's such a brilliant design. It's like sanitary, yeah. makes less waste, so much less headache. It just solves all, so many problems around this very impractical thing mm-hmm. that we all live with. And again, I'm not saying it's for everyone. You know, people people have their own hangups and everyone's bodies are different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think it hurts like the first time that you that you use it. I really had to like work to you have to work. You have to like want it. Mm-hmm. It it's funny, like Steve Jobs, uh, you know, there was that there was this classic 99PI piece about is it better to make a mouse that you use intuitively, a computer mouse that you use intuitively or one that you have to learn Mm -hmm. to use. It's like the difference between a bicycle and a tricycle. Like a tricycle, you just get on right away. Mm -hmm. But a bicycle, you have to learn how to use, but then it's so much more dynamic. The the menstrual cup kind of falls into the latter category. You kind of have to like learn how to use Mm -hmm. it, but it's a brilliant, simple design and it's a shame that it's still so stigmatized and not talked about. So I'm going public. Like I love menstrual cups. <laughs> Everyone should use one. Oh no, I really love that you put that in the spotlight. And I'm 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 still very curious because yeah. I discovered so many items that are just that are only for women that are not really being talked about, or at least I don't see it. And learning from this uh, little conversation that you also <laughs> had with our producer, Plenty, that 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 it's. Um, yeah, that it's uh, not even amongst women so much talked about. Yeah, we don't. That and that's the thing. We're not supposed to. We're not supposed to say it, and it's yeah. Yeah, but because it still feels like there's still so much to win there. Because I I just I discovered that that um uh I think um in 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 the again in the forties or so it was also you don't really talk about your pregnancy where you have this big belly yeah, yeah, and you yeah, don't yeah. really talk and you don't go out the house that much, and and um. Then I discovered that my 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 daughter, for, 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 um, she is um, named Lucy. Amongst other things, uh, after I Love Lucy, uh, Lucille Ball, who did a really great show. And she at some point became pregnant. Her husband was also in that show, right. her real husband. And she started to wear these kind of gowns that show the belly, which was completely kind of new at the time. And now we can't imagine, like, yeah. like Rihanna goes out in an amazing outfit, <laughs> super cold in, in New York somewhere, and then, and, um, but really shows the belly. Yeah. And, but it still feels that there are other items that are there that are deeply important to your health uh, that are still kind of like, no, we don't really talk about it, or we don't even... I think one of the things that are so nice about, about um, art uh, museums is that... Um, Sometimes they take the ordinary and put it in the spotlight if it's more like a design museum. But these things, like a, a breast pump or a menstrual cup, well, I haven't seen them. And I think I know. Uh, I'm like, I wish there was like a little display where people could and, see and, what and, a menstrual and I, cup and I, is like. Yeah, and I need to see it, right? Because otherwise, I don't see it. And that's also one of the reasons that you do a show or that you have something in a museum is that you kind of have to learn. 
where some something comes from. Because this is the same. It's like, okay, there's a lot of layers to this story, but it's good to know also about pain and 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 about how uncomfortable something is. And 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 indeed, like if you describe them bleeding onto cotton and then the cotton throwing out, it's like, oh shit, yeah, that is a whole whole cycle of waste. Oh, totally. And at the same time, mentally you you have some form of guilt for using something that you really have to use exactly but you're deeply aware that it's also not good for the environment so and there's a whole stress level that i as a man wouldn't know right so no thank you for this one i, I really <laughs> I, it's i think it's a brilliant answer and um and um really really love it and and thank you so much for oh, for ta- for taking the time to to visiting us and uh, and be here at momkind so um yeah thank you so much and uh Hopefully you speak soon. Yes, thank you so much. What an honor. Hi, I'm Brenna Foster, part of the team that works on Memberful Design. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now we want to hear from you. We're researching what makes communities, memberships, and movements so powerful. Or in short, how to better design for belonging. You can help by sharing your own experiences in our first listener survey. Go to memberful.design slash community or click the link directly in your show notes to complete the survey. It only takes a few minutes to share your wisdom and it's completely anonymous. Even better, we'll share takeaways on a future show. So keep listening and let's learn together. Many thanks from the entire Memberful Design team. We really appreciate it. Awesome. May I ask where where the name Momcat comes from? Oh, I wanted to have a name that didn't have like a literal meaning. So there are many agencies that have like either a person's last name, which yeah. to me is way too egocentric. It's it's not about the one person. Otherwise, it's often a very literal name, even an English name like a lemon scented tea is an agency yeah, or yeah. something. And then. I never really liked that because it's uh, to me it's like I can't really control the association that you have with it. So I wanted to have a name that's almost like a empty vessel. Yes. And then if people like the work, then hopefully they have a, a positive association. And then maybe on tone and ring to it, it sounds more like I don't know Asian or Japanese, and that's totally okay because yeah. that's uh, I love the aesthetic from that. So it's almost a design of a name because I choose all the things it should yeah 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 oh wow no it's beautiful that's like how um in transcendental meditation your mantra is supposed to be meaningless oh is it yeah to just have like it's supposed to be like a pleasant sound vibration and oh cool I feel like yeah you that's, created a, that's your, kind of your like mantra. this yeah yeah that's oh, so yeah. cool okay um, yeah thank you thank you so much yeah. all right um, I think we're still kind of good on time yes thank you so much i love that you have the 99 pi book that's so yeah, cool. cool yeah Thanks for the tip on the on the mental cup. That is so interesting and actually